Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Now last week we started talking about Abraham. We talk about Abraham and how he's the father of faith. He's also the one that shows us that, that God's promises are yes and amen, right? That when God makes a promise, he's good for it. And we know that Abraham didn't see that promise fulfilled until near the end of his life when he was an older man. And when we talk about Abraham, we really talk about his faith. We talk about his obedience. But, but Abraham took it to another level with Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't just simply an obedient servant. Of the Lord, right? Abraham wasn't just a simply an obedient servant to the Lord. In fact, James says this about Abraham is that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then it says this, and he was called God's friend. He was called God's friend. So he wasn't just an obedient servant, a good guy who was full of faith. He was actually considered a friend of God. How many know that Jesus doesn't simply want obedient followers, he wants intimate friends. He's not just interested in you being a good, a good list keeper of you being just good and obedient and doing everything that God says to do. He actually wants a friendship with you. In fact, he will not be satisfied with just you being obedient. With you just being a good citizen, he will not be satisfied until we are intimate friends with him. This is part of the reason why Jesus came. Now, we talk about being friends with Jesus. Some people have have kind of friend-zoned Jesus, right? They're like, oh, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my homeboy. I hate that. because he is your friend and he's with you all the time. But listen, he's, he's not your boy like that because when we're friends with someone, we say that we're, we accept them for who they are. And Jesus is your friend, but he is also, listen, he is also the king. In fact, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is a fire in his eyes. He is a passionate man. He is God in the flesh. Come on, he, he is powerful and omnipotent. He is, he holds all power and all authority. So don't forget that. But some people have friend zone Jesus. And then we have this other kind of end of the spectrum where they, they see Jesus as kind of this like lording taskmaster who's mostly frustrated and mostly angry. And he's frustrated and angry because everybody's not doing the right thing all the time. And so I feel like if we're not careful that we can fall on one end of the spectrum or the other, because Jesus is both. He is your friend. He is personal and close. He is also the king that has expectations of your life. But let me tell you today, he is not just satisfied just simply with your obedience. He wants your friendship. In fact, when Jesus calls the disciples in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to those he wanted. You know, I remember when I was in grade school, uh, if we were going to play, like, kickball or something like that, you ever play kickball, it's like the greatest sport ever. Um, and so they, they would line you up against the fence, you know, all right, it's time for the most humiliating moments of your life. We're going to pick. And then as they get down to the list, the, the end of the people, the last person there, they always say, well, we'll take him. Right? How many know that Jesus doesn't pick you like that? He doesn't take you. Come on. He chooses you. He wants you. And this is what he did with the disciples. It says that he wanted them and they came to him. So the fact that you came to Jesus is because he wanted you. Maybe nobody else does, but Jesus does. And it says this is he appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him. 
The primary objective for Jesus calling the disciples wasn't so that they would be good people who followed the Bible and did all the things they were supposed to do. No, no, no. The primary reason that he called them is because he wanted them that they might be with him. And then it says that he might send them out to preach. So his primary purpose for your life isn't that you would just be do the Christian thing all the time, but that you would know who he is, that you would be in relationship with him, that you would live in connection with him. Now, when we talk about the friends of Jesus, we obviously think about, you know, the, the disciples, but there were also three other people that were close with Jesus that were, that were his friends, and they lived in a town called Bethany, and their names were Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now, we know who Lazarus is, right? The story about Lazarus being rose from the, rose from the dead, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So if there was a, was a, was a group of 15, if we didn't call it the, 15, the 12 disciples and we called it the 15 disciples, these three would have made the list because they're talked, to, talked about all the times throughout the Scripture. And so Jesus' journey with these three people, this family, begins in Luke chapter 10. And it says this, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman, now this village was Bethany, where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha. Everybody say Martha. Martha. And she had a sister named Mary. Everybody say named Mary. Now, this isn't talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is another Mary. And so these girls were sisters. They lived together, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And then Mary sat down attentively before the master. Now, when someone would sit before the master or the rabbi, what they were saying is they were saying, I am going to learn from you. So I'm going to sit at your feet and learn from you. And this is what's happening. They're in this house. She's sitting, learning before Jesus. Mary is, and Martha is doing chores. How many of you know it's good to do chores? Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. How many of you are glad for the Marthas in your life that are getting the work done? We call that around our house, we call it GCDN. That means getting crud done. Or crap done. We, that's really what we call it, but we don't use it when we preach. So, uh, but we GCD. We, when Leslie has a, when I get a bunch of stuff done, I tell Leslie, I had a GCD day, right? So she, this was her. She was, she was a GCD or she was getting stuff done. And so she became exasperated about finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. How many of y'all know it was a good thing? So she's doing all this work and she interrupts Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing when Jesus tells you what to do. It's another thing when you tell Jesus what to do. So here she is. You need to tell her to get over here and help me. Because all she's doing is sitting there at your feet. And the Lord answered her, Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, my beloved Martha. Why are you so upset? And troubled. Why are you being extra? <laughs> Pulled away by all these distractions. Are they really that important? I mean, are the dishes really that important? Is baking that nan really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing. Most important. Everybody said the one thing. 
the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. Other words, I don't want her to get to work. I got her right where I want her, at my feet, receiving from me. See, if we're not careful, we can get caught up doing things for Jesus and miss what he has for us. And ultimately, what he has for us is that we would know know him, that we would come to him, that we would learn from him, that we would experience him, that we would receive from him. And this is all she was doing. Jesus commended this woman for doing nothing but lingering at the feet of Jesus. Don't take it away from her, he says. Now, in the next chapter, Luke chapter 11, we see the story of Lazarus being rose from the dead. Now, remember, Lazarus is these girls' brother. Now, when Jesus shows up to town, he knew he was late intentionally. I'm not going to go deep into the story today. And he shows up, and they said, Jesus, guess who meets him in town? It was Martha. Of course she was. She's in on everything, right? She's super busy. So she shows up. There's Jesus. She's like, Jesus, Jesus, let me tell you what's happening. First of all, you're late. And because you're late, my brother Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for three days. You're too late. And Jesus is like, no, I'm right on time. I am the resurrection and the life. And so she's like, well, let me go get my sister. So she goes back and she gets Mary. Mary was at the house. She's probably praying. She should have been doing funeral arrangements, but she's praying at the house or whatever it is that she's doing. She's preoccupied with other things. Goes and gets her and brings her to Jesus. And this, I want you to look and see what happens. It says this in John chapter 11. I think it said Luke a while ago, but it's John chapter 11, verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, because she lost her brother, when he saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then we know in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says this, Jesus wept. What provoked Jesus to weep? Was it because Jesus was sad that Lazarus was dead? No, no, no. It's because he saw the heartbreak in this woman who had these people with us, this woman that he had had a connection with, a relationship, not a not a, that kind of relationship, but because she was a woman that sat at the feet of Jesus and received from him. Jesus was moved by her affections. Why? Because they had spent time connecting. They had had a relationship that Martha didn't have. Notice that Martha was probably weeping too, but Scripture doesn't tell us that. It's when Mary was the one that showed up, when Jesus was broke. Here it is. Why was he so moved? Because she had this connection with Jesus. Beloved, if we don't make this switch in our life of becoming intimate followers of Jesus, intimate friends with Jesus, we will live less connected to the one that we want to know. We have got to make the switch, not just from being obedient. Your obedience is great, but becoming his friend. Will you become his friend? Will you sit at his feet and learn? The NIV says it this way when it says that she has chosen the one thing. The NIV says it this way. She has chosen the better way. It's the better way than working. It's a better way than doing the dishes and take care of all the things that need to be done. All the things needed to be done. Don't get it. Don't mistake it. The things needed to be done. But there was something better. Choose the better way. So how do we switch to the better way? Well, number one, you have to make the switch from urgency, switch urgency for intimacy. 
urgency to intimacy. I have a friend uh, named Billy and Billy Humphrey, and, and Billy, we were we had him out to speak at our youth ministry. This has been probably, you know, 15 years ago or so in El Paso. And man, we had kids that were like serving God fervently. They were passionate for Jesus. They were doing the works of the ministry. We were seeing all kinds of cool stuff happen. We really experienced what I would call revival or renewal there in El Paso. And we had Billy in. And man, I was just talking about all that God was doing. And he said, listen, he's like, he's like, you are allowing your intimacy to fuel your urgency. I was like, yeah, 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 that's right. He's like, what you need to do is you need to allow your urgency to fuel your intimacy. And I'll never forget that moment, how convicted I felt that I was a person who had become all about the work of the kingdom, but not of the work of the king in my own life. Not, not making that priority of, man, it's just me and Jesus, and the most important thing that I do is not out here, but it's this connection sitting at his feet. See, Martha was busy. She was a doer. And it's not misplaced to be a doer. How many of y'all are doers? I'm a doer. Busy, busy, busy. Always, always doing something. Busy, 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 busy. Right? I mean, things have to be done. Right? Notice that it was at Martha's house. It wasn't at Mary's house. Now, Mary was living with Martha. Mm, what's that tell you? We, it's all about doing what God's called us to do. I mean, we're calling 2019 the year of the green light. This is the year to, this is the, the year to do. This is the year to go forward. Absolutely. But we put intimacy before the urgency. See, James says this in, in uh, James chapter 122. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. So we've got to obey. We've, we've got to do. Otherwise, we're fooling ourselves. It's not just good to just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he says and then go and live how we want. That's not what we're talking about. That's, that's foolishness. There is a great commission to disciple nations. We need to be fulfilling that. Right? This work that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to feed the poor. Come on, we're supposed to take care of the orphans and the, and the widows. We're, there is a humanitarian effort to this thing called Christianity. There absolutely is. But why aren't we prioritizing it then? Because we talk about how we need to be doing it. We talk about how the church needs to be doing more. No, 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 no. We need to be doing this. Everybody agrees we need to be doing more. Everybody agrees with that. Well, then why isn't it happening? Well, the reason why it isn't happening is because we have been emphasizing urgency, doing for God over intimacy, being with God. We've made the doing the emphasis and not the being. And if you want to be effective at the doing, you better be better at being with him. I'm not impressed. God's not impressed by how much you can do for him. He's impressed if you know him. Remember when Jesus comes to the religious and they're like, he's sharing the story about the sheep and the goats. And he says, they, they, they say, they say to Jesus, they say, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not clothe the poor? You know what Jesus said to them? He's like, yeah, you did all that, but you don't know me. You were doing all the right stuff, but you didn't know me. I'm not just calling you to be obedient servants. I'm calling you to be intimate friends. Why do we ignore it? Why do we ignore the things that we're supposed to do? Because we're caught up in the doing. We're caught up in the urgency, not the intimacy. John 15, verse 14. We love John 15. Spent a lot of time there. 
You are my friends if you do what I command. It's good. Good friends do what he commands if you're a friend of Jesus. I know, but he says this, listen, but I no longer call you servants. I want you to do what I say. If you're my friend, you'll do what I say, but I don't look at you like servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Did you know that you can know the master's business? Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. I've made it known to you. Why? Because we're intimate. We're friends. Beloved, we are functioning as friends. Not servants. Not slaves. We're functioning as friends. And he isn't calling you to be busy. He's calling you to be fruitful. And busyness, listen, busyness is the enemy of fruitfulness. Well, if I can do more, then I'll experience it. It's wrong. God doesn't want your busy. Your busyness does not impress him. He wants fruit. But what we do is we spend so much time being busy that we don't have fruit. We're growing stuff. Things are happening, but there's no fruit. And it's stressful. We're burned out. We're frustrated all the time. We're nagging at everybody else because they're not doing what we're doing. Listen, doing for Jesus will never substitute being with Jesus. Never will. It's, God isn't impressed with your resume of how much you've done for God. That doesn't impress him. First of all, you're not doing anything for God anyway. You're doing it with God. But he's still not impressed with that. He's impressed if we'll sit at his feet. Will you sit at his feet? Don't miss the better thing because you're so caught up doing all the things that you call so important. Because just like Mary, Mary, if you don't choose the better thing, you're going to end up distracted, worried, and upset. And that's what she was. She was distracted. He said, she's not distracted. You're distracted. You're distracted by all this stuff. She's all frustrated. She's yelling at everybody. Right? She's like, why are you doing what I'm doing? Slow down, Martha. Chill out, Martha. Choose the better thing. Focusing on doing will always leave us distracted, worried, and upset. You're concerned about many things, Jesus tells her. You're so concerned about many things. And that, just like Martha, what do we do? We get concerned about many things. And then we verbalize our most important things to those that are doing the greater thing. Well, I know you're praying, but I'm feeding the homeless today. Awesome. We need to feed the homeless. But there's a greater thing than that. There's a greater thing than preaching the gospel. There's a greater thing than leading people to Christ. Because if you're leading to Christ and you're just leading them into a labor camp, you're leading them into something wrong. You're leading them into a connection with Jesus, not just so they can come and check the card and we can pray a prayer and put it on Instagram that this many people come to Jesus. No, no, no. We're saying we're inviting you to the most life-giving relationship that you'll ever experience. We're inviting you to a connection with the God of heaven. We're inviting you to a relationship that will, that will never leave you dry, that will never let you down. 
That's what we're inviting you to. We're not inviting you to God's labor camp. We're not inviting you to slavery and then calling it freedom. Listen, if you are serving God out of obligation, you're living like a slave, not a son. Or a friend. You know, if you know who your friends are, <laughs> when it's time to move. <laughs> Come on. Come on. He wants loyalty, man. The good, the good thing about intimacy is this, the result of intimacy takes us from being busy to being fruitful. You may do less, but actually accomplish more because it's fruitful. The result of intimacy takes us from being busy to being fruitful. John 15, remain in me. Again, the John 15 passage, camp out there all, all year. If you, just, if you would just stay in John 15 all year, I'd be super proud of you as your pastor. Just memorize it. Get it in there. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. That word remain in the Greek is meno. It means to, to stay, to abide, to live, to dwell. Live in me. Live in me. Live before me. Live in front of my feet. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We're going to get before the Lord and many people are going to go, Lord, did we not cast out demons? And he's going to go, but I didn't know you. Who are you? I know you were doing that for me, but who are you? What's your name? I mean, I see your list. I see you're so proud of your list and your accomplishments. I see your pride. I see your strength. I see your skill. But I don't know you. We don't, we, you haven't sit at my feet. We haven't fellowshiped together. We got to make the switch from urgency to intimacy. Number two, centrality. Everybody say centrality. Centrality over priority. Centrality over priority. If I were to ask you this morning, list your priorities, it might look something like this. My goals, my feelings, my well-being. Just kidding. That's the wrong list. It would probably be something more like this, the one that we have on the screen, right? God, right, because everybody puts that on their list. Even people who don't even know God, they're like, God's first in my life. Okay. I don't believe you, but okay. Then number two, family. Right? That's, that's the good thing. And I would say this. If you're good at making this list, you would put your spouse before your kids. Because one of these days, those kids are going to be out of the house. And will you be without a spouse? Number one, God. Number two, our family. Number three, our job, our career, our education. Number four, church or church, then that, which, whichever you, you know, wherever you're at on that. And then Netflix and chill, right? That's kind of what we would do with our list, our priorities. We have our priorities, right? And so what we do is every once in a while we sit down and we, you know, when we get real goal-oriented and we were ready to go to the new year, we write out our list, right? You got a little running note on your phone. This is what I'm going to do more of. And then every couple of weeks we're revisiting that list, reevaluating that list, stressing over this list. My priorities are out of whack, right? People, our mentors are telling us, your priorities are out of whack. You got to, we're like, okay, my list, my list, my list. It's frustrating, right? How many of you had to revisit your list already, 
after January 1st. How many of you ever revisited their list? I can look at the goals. Right? It's frustrating. Stressful. Negative. We get into goal shaming. Come on, on ourselves. We're like, if you're really a man of God, you would have put your family first. Oh, I didn't do that today. Crud. Fix the list. Fix the list, right? We live by list, right? We read in sequence, right? We use numbers. We budget. We're always considering how much time we have left, right? At the end of the day, we're like, oh, I don't have any time. I don't have, if we say, if we say I don't have any time, then we're really what we're saying is we're saying that the thing that I didn't have time for was the thing that wasn't on my priority list. That's really what we're saying when we make our priorities, right? Because when people say, well, I just don't have time for that, what, what you're really saying is that that's just not important to you because you make time for what's important, okay? Priorities. We make priorities. It's good to have priorities. But many times in our relationship with God, we look at God as a priority, Hold with me. And we know it should be this way, right? I mean, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We know it well. Seek first the kingdom, right? Above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You know what that's talking about? Specifically, it's talking about worry and finances. That's really specifically what that's talking about. Seek first. Jesus has given us a priority. Put the kingdom first. Notice it doesn't say put God first. It says, put the kingdom first. Now, hold with me. Listen. This is what we do as Westerners. We make lists, right? We live by the list. Then we adjust the list. Whoops. <laughs> well, <laughs> got to get back up on the list. Got to put it back up at the top of the list, right? Got to put God on the list. Although most people that put that there, it's, he's not number one on the list. But ancient Easterners took it, looked at things differently. They looked at things not as far as, like, sequence. They looked at things more um, from, from a centrality view. Things being focused around something, living around something. Because that's how life is lived, right? You live around things. You don't really live according to a list. That's not life-giving. Look at this. Luke chapter 10, right before Jesus has this conversation with Mary and Martha. It says this, that on one occasion, an expert of the law came to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, to love the Lord your God with all. Everybody say all. Your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Do this and you'll experience real life. Jesus is saying, we don't put God on the list. We love him completely. So what you do is you put God at the top of the list, and then what happens is you live life, he kind of bumps down, and then you got to reprioritize and put him around the list. You're thinking like a Westerner. If you, let me ask you this. If you love God with all, then how can you love anything else? That shows us how we love everything else. See, the emphasis isn't priority. The emphasis is wholeness. The emphasis is I love God completely. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. My whole being, I love God. What I'm saying is my life is centered around my love for God. My life is centered around God. Everything I do in my life rotates around my love for God. 
Stop compartmentalizing your walk with God. My little church box, my little serve box, my little prayer time box, my little box, 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 little box, box, box. Oh, God. just, just, just. How about center your life? Listen, he isn't looking to be first on your list. He's looking to be the center of your life. He's looking to be the point of your list. He's looking to be Lord of the list. That everything on your list, this is how I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love him by loving my family. I love him by giving my best at work in my attitude. Right? And not just my attitude, but also in my performance. Right? See, our priorities reveal our values, and they reveal also what is central to our life. Most people's priorities, you know what the top of the list is? It's not God. It's self. That's why you have the list. See, the list is to say, how can I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I could love him by loving my family well. Therefore, I am a better husband. I'm a kinder, more patient, more tolerant husband. I'm not the best husband, but I'm a better husband than if I'm not loving God. Because if, if I'm loving my wife like Christ loved the church the way that God said to do it, then I'm going to love her well. And I'm going to love my kids well. I'm going to raise I'm going to be better at raising my kids because God owns my list. Because he's central. Everything in my life. Let's show that other graphic. Do we have the, do we have the graphic? This is what it looks like. This is what a Christ-centered life means. It means God is at the center of my life, and everything rotates around God. My entire life rotates around God. Everything points in my life towards God. If there is something in your life that you can't honor God in, then get rid of it. If you cannot honor God with something that's in your life, you need to get rid of it. It shouldn't make the list. You want it to be all about God. Yeah, Jesus wants it to be all about God. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything revolves around Jesus. So we steward our family well. We manage our job better in attitude, application. Let me say this. If Jesus is not central, he will never be first. So why are we so inconsistent with this thing called the devotional life? Why are we so inconsistent with, I know I need to pray today. I haven't prayed in three weeks. I'm doing my Bible U version out thing, and I'm like six weeks behind. I'm getting up earlier this year to pray. I've been saying that since January 1st. It hadn't happened yet, but it's on the list. It's on the list. It's on the list. It's all on the list, but you keep messing the list up. Why? Because your list isn't about Jesus. It's about you and what you want to accomplish and you want to see. Beloved, you will, God has a life for you that's so much better, so much more than you can imagine. But most of you will be so caught up. I, I say this tenderly. Some of you are so caught up in yourself, you will never experience the life that God has for you. You're only going to experience your life. And maybe God will be in it. That's kind of your mindset. You've got to center around Jesus so how does this happen? Why am I so inconsistent 
with devotion. Let me tell you why. Because we don't fall in love. We grow in love. I know Hollywood. I know as Westerners, we oh, just fall in love. Well, you fell into a fatuation or you fell into lust, right? But love is something you grow in. See, I love Leslie Brown more today than I did the day I met her, more than the day we got married, more than I did a year ago. Why? Because you grow in love. Doesn't mean that it's all like rainbows and unicorns at our house. I mean, we do have a a, a six-year-old daughter, but it's still not that at our house all the time. But I grow in love towards her. I learn to love her. I learn to love her the way that she likes to be loved, not the way that I like to be loved or the like the way that I like to show love because it's really not about me. It's about us. It's about Jesus. And it's about our marriage honoring him. I don't know who that's free today that I'm staying on that. But we don't fall in love. We grow in love. How does growth happen? Growth happens by lingering. Lingering at the feet of Jesus. See, we do this thing every Saturday night called the furnace. And this is what happens. We have like a handful of people. You know, five, six people, good night, we might have like 10 or 12 or something like that. And it's really poorly attended. But I can tell you right now as a church, it's the most important ministry that we have. Because that's the hour of the week that we just come and we don't have an agenda. We just sit before the presence of Jesus. You want to grow? That's a good place for you to grow the love for prayer. Because let's just be honest. Prayer can be boring. Prayer can be boring for me. You know when it's most boring? When I'm not praying. Whenever I'm doing instead of being. See, doing for God is not a substitution for being with God. Never is. So the most important thing that we do is we come here on Saturday nights and we just burn for God for an hour. Just sit before him. Let him speak. We just pray. We worship. We soak. Why? Because we know that lingering is more important than laboring. Linger over labor. Lingering over laboring. How do you grow in your affections with Jesus? You spend time with him. Just like you do another person. You know, like you've met people you never connected with before. You never loved them until you knew them. Some of you, listen, you're going to grow in love. I just love God. What does that mean for you? That means because you live in America and you know that that, or in the South, and that's where you're supposed to, supposed to say is that you love God? What does that mean? Do you? Do you love him? Are you in love with him? He wants you to be, but it's only going to happen if you take time to sit at his feet. David says this one thing. One thing. I mean, David accomplished a lot. One thing I ask, this is what I seek that I may... Seek the Lord all the days of my life that I would dwell in the house of the Lord, the place of his presence. And I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his, in his temple. See, I came from a school that said this, back to the urgency thing, that said this, not, not the actual school I went to, but a mindset that I came into the kingdom 25 years ago that said this, if you were called into ministry, if you're called to do something for God, then you better have a prayer life and you better get into the word or you're not going to be any good at what God's called you to do. And so I tirelessly tirelessly spent time in God's presence. I tirelessly read the word, and it was a discipline for me. I'm not saying that that's 
necessarily bad. It was good that I was doing it. It's better than not doing it at all. But all I was doing, listen, all I was doing is prepare myself for the work I was going to do. I totally had it backwards. The reason why I'm doing the work is so whenever I come back at the feet of Jesus, I can say, Lord, wasn't that cool when you did that? See, it's all about the intimacy. It's all about the linger. I don't don't care about your labors. Have you lingered? Have you taken the time to sit at his feet and grow and develop a love for Jesus? A real, I'm talking about a real love for Jesus. I'm not talking about just a devoted life. I'm talking about affections, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what people will say. I've, I've been doing this for a minute, and I've been there before. I've said it. Well, if they were doing real ministry, right? The real ministry. The real ministry isn't praying. The real ministry is going out and preaching the gospel. The real ministry is feeding the poor. If you're not doing that, then you're not a real Christian. That's what we've done, right? So you've had people approach you like that. Well, if you were really a Christian, you'd be doing all these good things. This is the mantra of those doing real ministry. But I'm failing to see where Jesus was concerned with that with Mary. Jesus wasn't concerned that Mary wouldn't do things for God. He knew that she would. Because he knows that lovers will always outwork, outlast, and outclass laborers every time. Give me lovers, God. Give me lovers. They'll outwork the workers every day of the week. They won't get bitter for what they do. They'll do it out of pleasure. They won't be frustrated at everybody else for not doing it because their focus is Jesus. Their center is Jesus. See, if I succeed at my laboring for Jesus and didn't spend time lavishing on Jesus, then today what I did was insignificant. Make your plans, do your thing, do what God's called you to do, absolutely. But if you don't become a person of God, it doesn't matter what you do. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, lingering is the better way. Lingering is the better way. This is what Mary teaches us. The better way is sitting before the presence of Jesus. It's the better way. See, ministering to Jesus, and that's how we, how do you minister to the Lord? Right there. You sit and you fellowship with him. You let him speak into your life. That's the most important ministry is your ministry to Jesus. The most important ministry is my wife. No, no, no. My most important ministry is my ministry to Jesus. That I just sit at his feet and I listen to him speak and I allow him to pour into my life. This is how you minister to Jesus is by him ministering to you. Isn't that crazy? Not by preparing a meal for him or washing his feet or sitting, sitting there and, and talking about all, no, 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 but sitting at his feet, face to face, heart to heart, breath to breath, just sitting there, ministering to the Lord, and the result is fruit. The result is fruit. Not frustration. And it all begins with him doing something in us. We love because... He first loved us. We love because. There's a story in John chapter 13. I'm closing here. And Jesus is with the disciples. He's having this moment. And he pulls out a towel and a basin, and he's going to wash the disciples' feet. And everybody starts getting really uncomfortable. And Peter speaks up, and he's like, Lord, 
we should be washing your feet. We should be serving you. You're not going to wash my feet. And you know what Jesus tells him? He says, listen, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Peter, you can have no part in me. You cannot be connected with me if you don't allow me to wash your feet. If you don't allow me to serve you, if you don't allow me to do something in your life, you have no part in me. See, it's really not about what I can do for God. It's really about what he can do in me.